1: When is that? That's the second time it's gone on. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys.
0: That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm
1: to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You well,
2: don't know
1: what you're talking about.
0: What well, did you know? I'd like to stay alive for such oh, like a good. Okay, I'd say it too, I just now. Come down to field and we'll see them all
1: with what you're doing down here, you show me man. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome to a special Tuesday World Cup edition of the show. We'll be with you Monday to Thursday throughout the tournament here in the Irish Times Second Captain's podcast. I was tempted to start yesterday's programme by saying this World Cup has already had it all. But I did want to leave a little bit of wriggle room or if just in case something else happened. Mm-hmm. There, there has to be something else that can happen always in these And things. oftentimes you don't realise what that thing is until it happens. And it turned out that this thing was a manic... I was going to say manic goal celebration. That's probably the wrong word. It was almost the opposite of manic mm. by our friend John Brooks of the USA. This ranks right up there with Marco Tardelli in 1982, the Betos baby celebration in 1994, which was novel at the time and has become... A Little bit cliched at this point, <laughs> just Damien Duff's bow in 1990, 1990 in 2002.
3: Mm, yeah, that, that mm. was a hell of a celebration, all right, sure. But mm. uh, yeah, John Brooks, <clears>
1: can you can you describe it as you saw Okay, it? uh,
3: USA got a goal after 29 seconds or whatever else through Clint Dempsey. Uh, uh, proud rear guard action finally falls with eight minutes to go. Uh, they concede an equaliser, and it looks like they're out in their feet, they're definitely going to lose the game. Uh, get a, get a corner kick. Uh, John Brooks, who's whatever six foot six or something like that, uh, gets his head to it, nods it down into the ground, into the net for his first ever international goal, and he wheels away. And I think the first, maybe the first, like point two of a second, he's really happy with himself, and then he realizes what he's done and just kind of wanders around like, you know, in those uh, world in uh, sort of World War Two movies. Where someone, a bomb goes off someone really, really close to them, and they just kind of wander around disorientated <laughs> And their hearing is just a loud ringing noise in their ears, yeah. uh, affecting their balance. That's basically what he did. He kind of wandered around, and then he lay down for a little bit and uh, had a little think about how amazing it is to score a goal in the last three minutes of it World It was Cup such match.
1: an absurd celebration that even his teammates got a little bit bored after a while and yeah. just left him to it. They thought, I don't know. Who he's communicating with here, or what he's communicating mm. with here? But we'll leave him to it. We will let him he's, lie in the grass and do his thing. He's fine. He's fine. He's he's in a recovery position. <laughs>
3: uh, we're just going to see at the end of this game. He's probably
1: not a great defender anyway. He's only just been brought he in, knows. so we'll just leave him up there and we'll do the. He, do the he did rear actually
3: come. He did actually come around though. I mean, he did uh, have one very good defensive header afterwards, so he did manage to regain his composure eventually.
1: Let's head over to Fortalezzi.
0: Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. Oh,
1: can you enjoy that celebration by the everybody's new favourite World Cup hero,
0: John Brooks? Um, can I be honest? Yeah. Not yeah. really. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I don't know why. I I kind of wanted Ghana to win the match. <laughs> I, I am I even allowed to admit that? I mean, look, I was watching the match on a plane. I was watching the match, what? flying in a plane. Can you believe this? Can you do that now? That's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I I, I got on this plane in uh, in Salvador, uh, and you know, I was all set to read my book in this sort of centuries-old uh, <laughs> fashion of killing time in a plane. When suddenly I kind of looked up and I noticed that other people appeared to be watching the World Cup, uh, you know, I could see the backs of other people's chairs, and they seemed to be watching the United States and Ghana warming up, and I thought, what? So it was just, it just didn't compute, I mean, it was like uh, John Brooks, you know, and he, um, that sort of look of complete bewilderment that came over him, uh, where he didn't seem to understand what was happening, I uh, oh. I, I was like that, but eventually I figured out, okay, so, so you can watch television on this plane. Um, I mean, the plane was still sitting on the on the tarmac at that stage, so I thought, well, surely when the plane takes off, then we'll lose the signal. What about the rule that says you have to turn off all electronic devices? I can see all these electronic devices on the but uh, they don't have that rule either. So, you uh, Airways, uh, they're the they're the ones. They're the ones with the uh, with the television on the plane. Um, Watching so, the sorry, USA against Ghana at thirty six thousand feet was um, yeah was a new experience in my life.
3: So was this like the screens were on the back of the chairs, or did they pull yeah, down the little?
0: No, the little no, the typical air, air, airline setup of of the screen being on the back of the chairs. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean it wasn't just football; you could watch whatever. you... I mean they had like a, a full sort of satellite TV thing, um, but obviously everybody was watching the World Cup. And, uh, yeah, so, so, uh, the game kicked off and obviously immediately the Americans scored, um, with Dempsey and then there followed, a uh, i I mean, it was difficult, I thought, to watch that game and not want Ghana to get something out of it. Um, because they really made, even though they didn't play particularly well, they made the entire game and eventually got a good goal through IU. Um, so it was a little bit, I felt a little bit sorry for them that, uh, Brooks eventually scored that goal at the end, but I mean, I don't know. I thought two pretty bad teams. I, mean, I just come from the Germany Portugal match, and even though uh, even though Portugal had a bad defeat, uh, and they've you know they're bottom of the group now. And I read Nate Silver's uh, prediction on five thirty eight that the United States now has a I think sixty three percent chance of progressing. <laughs> I would be betting on the thirty seven percent.
1: Well, it kind of sounds like you're about the only person. Outside of maybe Landon Donovan, who I think is doing some ESPN analysis, who mightn't have been overjoyed with John Brooks's heroic winning goal there. But uh, this is surely the one sphere in the world where we can get behind the plucky underdog United States against, the, uh, well, against a nation such as Ghana.
0: Well, it's the one sphere in which they are a plucky underdog, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to get behind them. Uh, you know, I thought... Uh uh, I mean, I suppose Ghana have have enjoyed a glut of success against the United States and have um, and have beaten them in the last two World Cups.
3: Um, still, their no uh, I, yeah, I just
0: love to see good football.
3: A lot of uh, American journalists were uh, quoting the or uh, adapting the uh, Vitus uh comment about losing sixteen times in a row to uh, Jimmy Connors. Uh, after which, yeah. uh, on his seventeenth occasion when he won, he said, "No one beats Vitas Gerulaitis seventeen, <laughs> times,
0: in <a> <laughs> 17 <laughs> times in a row." So yeah. uh, there are quite a few I US journals. Good thing for yeah. um, uh, it's, it, it can only be a good thing for you know football in America. Although do we do we still care about that? I think football in America is fine. I mean, and football in America is uh, okay. It's not the biggest sport, but it is a big sport. I mean, I think that t- as a as a football country, the United States is probably. You know, at least as at least as big as France in terms of um, <clears throat> in terms of the number of people who follow the national team, who are interested in it, and I think I probably have far more players than them. Yeah, I think at
1: this stage we can just enjoy these matches for what they are, rather than worrying, fretting too much about whether mm. or not soccer will finally take off in the United States. I think it's doing just fine. Nigeria against Iran. I've got to say, I've already forgotten every everything that's happened in that game, but the post match interview was entertaining. Ken, I'm going to play you a clip here. Orti. You won't have seen these interviews. Already, the throw to these interviews, which are conducted by the broadcasters from the countries involved in the game. No name was given to this man who interviewed Nigerian manager Stephen Keshi. Now, if people weren't following it, it was a really drab, nil-all draw. Nigeria totally underperformed and hadn't played well. And you have to admire the tenacious interviewing style on show here and the unflustered way in which the manager Stephen Keshi takes these questions. Coach, you wanted victory. This is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Well, I wanted victory, I want victory for every game, but today's game, uh, this is for football. You look frustrated on the pitch, you look frustrated on the pitch during the play there. Where do, you, where do you think you got it all wrong today? Well, it's just the nervousness, anxiety in front of the front line. We want to score, we want to score, and uh, it's not coming. Some of your players, I mean, you had Kenneth Omeru and Ahmed Musa. they were injury concerns before this game. Were they fully fit for this game? Yeah, but you saw the game. They were playing good. Um, I don't have a problem. I think they did What lessons are you going to take away from here, and what will you do differently in the next game? Uh, we just have to calm everybody down, and then take it from there. Calm everybody down. Starting with the interviewer, I would suggest. Where where did you get it all wrong today?
0: I, I love that, that question. Yeah. <laughs> where do you think you got it all wrong? Uh, oh, what did Keshi too. say? I don't think he. I don't think he knew the answers. Uh, once again, clueless Keshi has, been, uh, has no idea uh, how to answer the questions. But
1: Ken, you were in Salvador for the game last night. Portugal, Germany. I'm going to put one word to you about it. Pepe.
0: Oh. Pepe's such an idiot um I, I felt like I mean all these people have gone to so much effort no 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 because there's a lot of people from Salvador there, but also but you know a lot of people in the stadium have come a long way to be at what they 've been a game that they 've been looking forward to for a long time, and then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. thanks a lot pepe i mean i don 't know what exactly um what the idea was was it a little bit like um uh, remember Martin is the the Uruguayan uh, player, who uh, didn't like it when the Costa Ricans started bringing the ball into the corner? Yes, yeah. Um, and you've got this sort of macho protest uh, at the very end where, where the Uruguayans are saying, we're not going to put up with this we're not going to put up with you taking the ball into the corner and mocking us like this. So I'm going to try and break your leg and rule myself out of the rest <laughs> of the World Cup. It, you know, a bit like uh, Simeone maybe in the Champions League final, where he's like, you know, sure, you're winning 4-1, uh, uh, but I am not going to stand here uh, <laughs> and watch it happen. I'm going to get myself sent off instead. Um, I mean, I don't know. In, the, in this instance, Pepe, I, I didn't... I mean, he was the guy who Matt Hummels had... Um, beaten for the header a few minutes before that to make it 2-0 to Germany and really at 2-0 you kind of knew this game was over because you you could see that Cristiano was sort of testing his legs out a little bit and he's sort of stooping over a lot like Gary Pallister oh I'm in such pain and if he's in trouble like that and remember Hugo Almeida the centre forward had already gone off then it didn't look like Portugal had any way back from 2-0. So maybe that, maybe a combination of shame at having been the, the man who let Hummel score that second goal and just frustration, just the knowledge of the fact that they're going to lose anyway was what made Pepe lose the plot like that. But it was so stupid. I mean, so this is exactly what Muller is trying to get him to do. Like, why would you give Muller the satisfaction of, of doing that? I mean, I was watching Ronaldo when it happened. Ronaldo's a captain, you know, and he really looked the man apart from his teammates. I mean, they were all surrounding the referee and they it had been the same on the penalty. You know, they were, they were all kind of complaining and surrounding the referee and Ronaldo was just miles away from it all. You know, he just didn't get involved and I'd love to know what he was thinking when Pepe did that. You know I mean? It was just, well, that's just great. You know, thanks. Thanks very much. I actually saw them both later on when oh, in the airport. Yeah. Um, I was in the airport in Salvador, and it was this really, really packed terminal. I mean, it was just crazy. There was way too many people in the terminal. I mean, it seemed like there were several flights boarding at every gate, and there was just these masses of people milling around. <laughs> I'm trying to find out which which uh, gate their flight was, you know, and it was just, but then, uh, and, and it was this really bad. But then suddenly, this, you hear this screaming. And it's like, oh, Cristiano, Cristiano! And um, you look around, and, the one wall of this, term, basically in this adjacent section, which was sort of sealed off from the public, but visible through a kind of plexiglass uh, wall, there's a long corridor. And you can see Cristiano Ronaldo was walking down this corridor, looking weirdly childlike, like a, like a schoolboy with his baseball cap on backwards and his shorts and his knee-length flight socks on, I have to say, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, <laughs> oh, that's not a good those, look. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, Flight socks just to uh, to ensure that he doesn't get a DVT on, on the plane or the, or unsightly on ankle I swelling.
1: I did, I did wear those once. I found them, oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I found them hugely. They're great.
1: Well, I, do you wear them? I found them hugely uncomfortable, and I'm not sure. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure there is a medical science behind it. I'm sure it does help blood circulation and all those mm-hmm. things. But are you prone to varicose veins, Ken?
0: Uh, no, but I am maybe a little prone to ankles after. Uh, after a long flight like that, so
3: ankles. Oh um, right, no, that's not good.
0: Uh, yeah, a, a bit of a bit of uh, compression is great. Anyway, me and Cristiano Ronaldo both. So you know, I don't know, what, I don't know, you know, what you're complaining about. But anyway, there's Cristiano walking along, and obviously he's pretty grimmed out because he just lost four nil in the World Cup. So imagine how he feels then when all these people start beating on the beating on the glass and screaming. At him and running along to t- take photos of him, like running as as he's walking along this huge stampede of people around him, and they're shouting Cristiano and laughing, and then they all start shouting things like "Messi, Messi," and "Te amo, Messi, Te amo, Messi," because uh, they're mostly Mexican fans, so they speak Spanish. And poor Cristiano just sort of he has nowhere to go, I and mean, he has to walk along here, um, you know, a few feet from these uh, people who are like children torturing a zoo animal. And he's just, uh, you know, sort of looks away, sadly, and, you know, I just thought to myself, Cristiano Ronaldo must have so much contempt for humanity at this stage. I was at the Shanghai Zoo once, on in 2001. I don't know, maybe they've they've cleaned up their act since then. But what I remember about that place is that it seemed to be, uh, it was a place where people could take their young children so the children could abuse the animals, and mainly by throwing stuff at them. And... Uh you know, the attitude that the people displayed towards those animals was was possibly more respectful than what I saw from the fans in Salvador Airport towards uh Ronaldo. Literally, but I mean a combination of this massive like you know, wow, Cristiano Ronaldo was there. You know, it could have been anything, like it could have been a dragon or a unicorn and it wouldn't have excited the the people quite so much. But then once Cristiano Ronaldo's in front of you, what do you do? You you abuse him. <laughs> I, just couldn't, I just didn't understand it at all. I mean, it was just people trying to be literally messy. Like, who would shout messy at Cristiano Ronaldo like that? Why would you do that? Um, anyway, I felt, I felt a bit sorry for him, but he was walking along. And it's like, what's Ronaldo? You know, where is everyone else? He seems to be by himself. A good bit later, the rest of the Portugal players came. And uh, at the head of that group, Was Pepe. And Pepe obviously was, I could understand this a little bit more because he was the idiot who would ruin the whole game. And uh, people were shouting, hey, Pepe, hey, Pepe! And like mining red cards at him, you know? (laughs) And Pepe just looked. uh, He was walking along and he kind of stared coolly at me. I mean, Ronaldo sort of looked away and looked sad uh, and quickened his, his step. Pepe just sort of stared back coolly at these people. And then Raised, a, raised his hand and what I assumed was going to be an up yours but was actually a peace sign wow yeah yeah that's what I thought I, th- I, I thought maybe Pepe would come and start beating on the glass himself like um, you know Mrs. Bouvier um, except <laughs> screaming screaming insults and uh, but it, but it wasn't like that he was just really he was chilled out he was above the fray I thought what, why can't you just do that when, when it's Muller I mean you've got I don't know, hundreds of people here abusing you and laughing and insulting you, and you don't react to it at all. But when Muller does it, you can't resist (laughs) the temptation to go over and headbutt him in a World Cup match, in the first half of a World Cup match. Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe he just needed to... Maybe he cleared the tubes earlier with the, with the Muller thing and and for the next few days he's just going to be totally non-aggressive.
1: All right, we are joined now by Gabriele Marcotti to talk uh, about a, a couple of those stories that we've been covering so far. Gabriele, great to talk to you for the first time during the competition. I assume you're enjoying the World Cup so far?
2: Yeah, it's a it's absolutely fantastic uh, tournament. I don't think uh, anybody could, uh, could complain about it. Um, it's been good. I think it's been... It's been different uh, in many ways, and um, I just hope that you know we don't expect it to, to continue at this rate. All tournament long, because that really would be incredible.
1: Why has uh, what have the differences been from other tournaments, and why, if they happened, do you think?
2: Um, it's a good question. I, I'm not sure. I mean, one obvious thing is that we've had a number of games that have been more open because you've had uh, you've had early goals. Um, I, I I think that certainly. Um, you know, obviously forced teams to come out more and, and, and opened up play. Um, perhaps, uh, the, the travel and, and then the environment has also, uh, you know, led to more mistakes. I think in general, defending is poor. Um, certainly among the bigger teams. Um, and the rest is maybe just down to chance and probability.
0: Gabriela, what did you make of uh, the United States uh, last night against Ghana? Um, it really looked as though Jurgen Klinsmann was going to be facing a pretty awkward press conference, where he was going to be talking a lot about Landon and Donovan, uh, and then things sort of came up
2: <laughs> for him. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable, you know, how um, you know you have best laid plans, and then they, they they screw up, and then. All of a sudden, you, you get a turn of uh, a turn of good fortune. Uh, um, I, I, I thought, you know, the U.S. had the gift of the early goal, but I thought they almost didn't, you know, that they didn't prepare to play with the lead, or, um, you know, weren't good enough to play with the lead. And Ghana kept knocking and knocking and knocking at the door, and, uh, and then equalized, and then, uh, you know, took that, that huge defensive lap, laps and. Um, and then Jonathan Brooks, to, to, who came out of the southern, hadn't played particularly well at that point. Of course, to uh, to score the winner, I don't think you can legislate for that. And, and I think you know, on balance, Klinsman knows he's going to have to kick it up several notches um, in the other two games.
1: Belgium, Algeria, Russia, South Korea is the group today, along with Brazil, Mexico's game this evening as well. Are, are you as hyped up about Belgium as a lot of football supporters and football pundits seem to
2: be? Well, it was uh, five years ago, almost by chance. I wrote a piece for for, for the Times. I noticed that there were so many um, gifted young Belgian footballers at the time. Or, or, you know, footballers maybe hadn't broken into the first team yet, but uh, were getting buzzed. And they said, oh, maybe, uh, you know, see if you can give an early bet on 2014. You know, ha-ha, tee-hee. Um, <laughs> but they all come good. It's not. I'm not Nostradamus here. Um, I, I think that the main issue with, with Belgium is that as uh, often happens in smaller countries. You, even when you have a lot of talent, uh, it might not always be evenly distributed throughout the squad. And um, surely I look at this and I wonder, you know, Aldo and, uh and Fartonga—and assuming it's them, a, a fullback, probably not really natural fits. Um, I think, you know, that could be a factor. Um, but beyond that, you know, I look player for player and I ask myself, how many of these World Cup sides uh, uh, have more, you know, very talented players than uh, uh, than Belgium? And uh, you know, I, it's not many. It's, it's Spain. It's uh, Germany. It's maybe uh, Argentina, possibly Brazil. But I, I, I think you know they have to be up there, and, and they can't be considered ranked outsiders.
1: Yeah. Just lastly, Gabriele, Russia managed by Fabio Capello. Now we all remember how the English players didn't seem to react particularly well to his big tournament management last time around. Will he have learned from that? Did, did he have anything to learn from that or was it just a case that the group of footballers he had with him at that time weren't well suited to what he was trying to do with them? Are you expecting big things from Capello's Russia in this group?
2: Well, to answer your first part first, no, I don't think Fabio Capello has anything to learn from it um, other than the fact that uh, once the uh, English media get a bee in their bonnet about something, no matter how stupid and idiotic, they will just simply... Uh, continue using it as an excuse. Um, you know, these are professional footballers we're <laughs> we're talking about here. Uh, eh, but as for Russia, um, so far so good. I mean, they lost their, their captain Roman Shirokov uh, leading into the tournament, um, and that's a, that's a really really big blow. Um, Capello keeps saying that he's relaxed, he's he's sticking ahead to 2018, but I think deep down he knows that you know there will be no 2018 if if they don't put in a decent showing.
1: Gabriele, enjoy the football today. Thank you. No problem. can I just go back to the Germany game here. Probably didn't discuss that enough earlier on. I don't know what sense you got at the stadium, but I was watching the ITV coverage for this one and Adrian Childs <laughs> was very much up and even higher up in his high horse than he often is. He spent the entire entirety of half time uh, essentially badgering or attempting to badger Patrick Vieira and Fabio Cannavaro into admitting to all the ills of diving in football, those boys weren't really having any of it. Lee Dixon was maybe somewhere on the fence that Lee Dixon usually occupies. But I was quite struck by how wound up Childs was about it. What did you think? About the fact that Muller should be taking as much blame for the incident as Pepe did?
0: I think Muller just did what any intelligent player would have done, given that was up against Pepe. Um, I think it's just a, a little bit of psychological judo from Muller, you know, my opponent has this weakness, therefore, you know, I'll exploit it. And, you know, to be honest, uh, while it was a little bit, it was annoying from my point of view just because I thought, oh, well, this game is now just a waste of time. I mean, we're just sitting here watching Germany have a training exercise for the next, you know, 50 minutes or whatever, whatever, 53 minutes. Um, So that was a little bit disappointing, but I can't criticize Muller for it. And the other thing is Pepe did headbutt. I mean, Muller didn't... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like Muller exaggerated the contact. Then Pepe came over and headbutted him. You know, Muller it was like Christmas for Muller. And I thought also that it's good it's a good sign for Germany that they have a player, at least one player, who's prepared to get a little bit dirty like that, like Muller uh, like Muller clearly is prepared to do. Maybe Muller isn't the easiest player to like, but he is, I think, um he is a player who's who kind of sees the game in its full spectrum. He's not one of these players who's wearing sort of sportsmanship blinkers, let's say (laughs) he's got a, he's got a 360 degree view of proceedings. And if there is an advantage, he'll take it. And I think if you want to win the world cup, you need, uh, you need players who can do that. And maybe the thing about this Germany team had been this idea that they're a little bit naive, a little bit kind of goody two shoes. um, that maybe they don't have some of the old um, German winning qualities of the past. Well, Muller has all those things. Uh, and an unbelievable goal-scoring record in the World Cup. I mean, eight goals in seven games. I mean, he is an incredibly um, and sort of ineffably talented player because he doesn't really look like a player. I mean, he does not he doesn't have the physique of a top football player. He doesn't really do a whole lot in the game. And yet again and again, there he is scoring goals. He always seems to be in the right kind of place. He scores goals in big games all the time. And, yeah, I mean, with a player like that, I mean, we're looking at the Germany team. They don't. The only center forward in the 23-man squad is closer. But obviously, Muller has shown that he can play there as well. I thought that the German team uh, showed a lot of... Uh, Automatic is that I think they they, they actually were, uh, you know, I mean I don't mean to I don't mean to lapse into this cliche here of the Germans being these in, inhuman robots. Uh, what I mean is that every time they got the ball, they immediately initiated a move which involved a couple of players. They looked as though they always had an idea of what to do. Um, I mean. The, the, the team understood what the team was trying to do. It wasn't like when Portugal got the ball, it was really ad hoc. It was like, oh, you know, where are we on the field? What are we going to try and do? Where's Cristiano Ronaldo? Can we stick it up to the big man? You know, Portugal were playing a really, really basic football I thought for, for, for a country which, is, which has had such good footballing teams in the past. It was just sticking up to the big lad. And the big lad in their case was Hugo Almeida. Do you remember oh, when we were talking about the Jose Mourinho book? Mm. Um, the dark side of Jose Mourinho. Yeah. That's the guy that Mourinho wanted to sign when he arrived at Real <laughs> Madrid. Hugo Almeida, the slightly overweight man yeah. who Portugal had starting at the at center forward. Uh, yesterday he wanted to sign that guy for Real Madrid. Uh, it's suggested in the Diego Torres book because he's one of the George Mendes players. In fact, George Mendes is one of the is the agent for most of the of the uh, <laughs> the Portugal squad. It's unbelievable um, the influence that he has there. But I mean, Hugo Almeida is not a top class player. Um, Germany, on the other hand, a lot more sophisticated using diagonal balls a lot in behind the full-backs of Portugal, which was clearly something that worked out beforehand and worked repeatedly that Portugal never had any uh, response to. You know, I thought it's going to take, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a great German team, but it's going to take a very well-organized team to stop them. I mean, I don't see, for instance, a team like Argentina would be able to to stop that German team. You're going to have to be a very well-organized team and also quite a good one to stop uh, Germany, I think.
1: All right, well, we introduced a brand new slot to the show last week with stunning success, Murph. I don't know if you got the memo to polish this bad boy up a little don't bit. Don't worry.
3: I've, well, Ken has it, so, I mean, I, I can't polish it. I mean, Ken's crystal ball belongs to Ken. Ken has it in wherever the hell in Brazil he is right now.
0: Or the yeah, it's been a nightmare. Uh, looking this thing around, I tell you, my, uh, I've had to utilize my carry-on to its full as possible
2: extent. Forget
1: all that, Ken, just look into it and tell us what you see. And that
3: is why Maradona is the greatest player
1: in the world. He buried it. In the shoots. Surely the start for King! and I do it! Well, Cat, what do you see?
0: I see... Three men in and one sombrero, and I see sad faces. I see one of them turned to the television camera. There's television cameras absolutely everywhere. Wherever there are fans, there's television cameras. In fact, whenever you hear fans chanting and cheering, you know that there's a television camera filming, and there's no other reason, apparently, for fans to cheer and chant at this World Cup other than the prospect of possibly getting on television on some minor station in some country they've never even heard of. But I see these sad men in green shirts, and they say to the television camera, Who gameth nunca? Perdimos como siempre And I'm pretty sure, Owen that's going to happen uh, Quite a few times around the uh, streets of Fortaleza This evening
1: Do we get a translation, no?
0: Maybe go play like never But we lost like always
1: <laughs> <laughs> Kennedy's crystal ball We'll see what happens there Amazing stuff, Ken. You're looking. You're going. You're going to be at the stadium. Brazil versus Mexico.
0: Yeah, uh, Brazil, Mexico here in Fortaleza. Um, you know, Brazil. Brazil are quite uh, smug and confident now. Actually, their their opening day win has has kind of settled their nerves a little bit. Um, I was speaking to one. I think we talked to Tim Vickery about this phenomenon before. Um, but I was speaking to another another guy who's lived here for quite some time, a foreigner who's been living in Brazil, and he said it is very difficult as a foreigner if you live here for a long time to to start supporting, to, to keep supporting the Brazilian team. It's just too much. They're just too chauvinistic. And it is something that I noticed, actually, in the in the opening game. There was this small pocket of Croatian fans, and whenever they started singing, the Brazilians just, all around them, turned and, and started screaming at them and booing them, and uh, telling them to shut up. You know this kind of thing. Um, they they seem to really go for this thing of of uh, attacking the opposite. I, I don't mean necessarily physically attacking, but of shouting down the opposition fans. They concentrate on the opposition fans a lot. Um, it seems to be half the joy of. Uh, of you know being good at football is that you get to lord it over everybody else it's not just a case of sitting there going well you know we, we're great but you guys did well as well it's like we're great and you're not uh, and uh this guy was saying you know it's you, you know he, he when he arrived first he was there supporting him and i think the, in the 2006 world cup or whatever <laughs> you know he has his Brazil shirt and all. He thinks he can join in, uh, but then you know when they start winning, it's like oh Brazil, and then it's turned around. And where are Ireland? You know I don't see Ireland at this World Cup, and uh, you know just sort of he's kind of like, well, why you know why is that important? I mean, why are you picking on me just because Ireland don't have a very good team at the moment? But you know mm-hmm. that seems to be anyway. They're very uh, they're they're very brash and confident and a bully, and, and I think they reckon they're gonna. Um, destroy El Tri today and send them packing back home to Mexico. Well,
1: Ken, enjoy the game. Thanks for joining
0: us. I you thank, thank you, and thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Ken. Thanks, On. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again for another World Cup show around this time tomorrow. Take care. Is that? That's the second time it's gone
0: off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those those,
2: those